asked him, you know, what he was doing. He says, I'm trying to decide whether or not I am my brother's keeper or if I'm my keeper's brother. Well, that's what we actually have been trying to, to do over the past uh, few weeks. Uh, actually, I think three, four weeks we've been looking at this. We began a series. The uh, thing that we were trying to do is look at uh, or try to help answer some of the common objections that we see today in our world to, to Christianity. And uh, the first question that we really began to wrestle with was this question of, of God's existence. Is there really, in fact, a God? Or can we, um, well, one of the things I said was that you know, we can, we can try to answer that question. The two qu there's actually two questions. Is there a God and then can I know him? Um, but this, this question, I think, of God's existence is, is uh, there's really limited answers to that question. In fact, there's only two, right? He either exists or he doesn't. I mean, those are the choices that we really have. He either created all that we see or know, or see and know, or all that we see and know is a byproduct of, byproduct of a naturalistic evolutionary process. Um, now, some people might be thinking, maybe you're thinking this, you know, are, but, but the question has been raised, are there reputable people, I mean, you know, intelligent people, who believe in creation, you know, other than you, you know, you know, you're just a preacher, not a cosmologist, or a scientist, or a biologist, or a, or a chemist, or a geologist, or a paleontologist, or a philosopher even, you know, are there people in our world that, 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 you know, like that, that who believe that, you know, people not like you, <laughs> people that are smart, who believe in these things, and the answer is yes. It is a it is a yes. There are many people who believe that are not um, that only um, there's actually many people who believe that it's only uneducated people, it's only unlearned people, common folk, you know, that believe in things like intelligent design, uh, who believe in, in a creator. There is something that was this has uh, been some time ago. I didn't actually see this and have read about I, I read about it, but PBS uh, actually aired a a seven-part series on evolution, this was some time ago, and, and stated this. They said, all the known scientific evidence supports Darwinism, or Darwinian evolution, as does virtually every reputable scientist in the world. That's what they claim. The only problem with that statement is that it's absolutely false. It is an absolute lie because the truth is that some of the most brilliant minds in the world stand in the corner of creationism, and they are convinced that the case for intelligent design far outweighs the theory of evolution. After the, the PBS broadcast, there was a hundred, after that specific one, there were 100 renowned scientists who stepped forward and they published a two-page ad in a national magazine with this title, A Scientific Descent from Darwin Darwinism. And they were direct, and they were defiant, and they were not backwards preachers or backwards preachers and religious fanatics. These were men and women and they were who, who were biologists, who were scientists, who were zoologists, who were who were physicists, who were anthropologists, who were molecular biologists, who were bioengineers, who were organic chemists, who were astrophysicists, 
and other scientists and doc, uh, doctorates uh, from prestigious uh, um, universities such as um, Cambridge and Yale and Rutgers and Chicago and Princeton and Purdue and Duke and Michigan and, and Syracuse and Temple uh, and, and, and Berkeley and, and all those places. These, were, these are smart. These are educated. These are people who are the top of their class in their field. In fact, you think about that, some of the greatest intellects, some of the greatest intellects that are, the world has ever known and that, currently know, that we currently know, they were and they are defenders of a creation view of origin. And so, for example, um, Leonardo da Vinci, um, considered by some, by the way, to be the real founder of modern science, but he was a created, crea or a committed creationist. He believed in creation. I got a little thing there. Everybody's going. I was watching, and it's like, you know, what's that going on there? Anyway, sorry, sorry to distract you. It's like, everybody, I, I thought it would hypnotize everybody, but it, it, evidently it didn't work that way. It, but, but he was a committed um, creationist, or Robert Boyle. He is the guy that is, is the, considered to be the father of modern chemistry as well as a great, one of the greatest phys uh, physical scientists of his generation. He was a great apologist for, for, for creation. Or there was Sir Isaac Newton, um, smart guy, if you don't, if some of you should know that, but he's the guy who discovered calculus. And he discovered the law of gravity and designed the very first reflecting telescope. And he not only refuted atheism, but he strongly defended the biblical account of creation. I mean, history has given us. Uh, other great men of science and, and faith, Johannes uh, uh, Kepler, scientific astronomy, or Francis Bacon, uh, the scientific method, Blaise Pascal, uh, you know, a mathematician, Michael Faraday of electromagnetics and stuff. And, but it's, it, it's people like this who believe in a creator because the clear line of evidence leads them to this belief that belief in a creator is more credible than believing that time plus chance plus nothing equals everything. Belief in a creator is, a, is, is rational, it's more rational, and it's more uh, intellectually fulfilling than believing that, and I'll, I'll put this up on the screen there, it's more intellectually fulfilling than this, that nothing produces everything, that non-life produces life, that randomness produces fine-tuning, and that chaos produces information. So a couple weeks ago, we started looking at some arguments, uh, uh, four arguments for the existence of God uh, apart from the Bible. Uh, we did so. I. Um, because we believe that God has made it, I think, abundantly clear, even in creation, that he is here and he is not silent. God is not silent. We talked about the, the wonder and the awe of our universe, and, and it's just uh, the laws and, and the things that go on. But they call that natural theology. Natural theology. That's what it's called. Um, 
or general revelation. That's sometimes what it's called. It's, it's the information that, that God has chosen or he's to, to give to people everywhere. It's the stuff that's all around us that we see that, that causes us to, to look and, and go, that got here somehow. It's, that's what that is. It's called natural theology. Um, but listen to this verse, and we, we, uh, you should be familiar with this passage, but Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, says it this way. If you have your Bibles open to that. Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes it makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. So we started... We started with this argument that uh, deals with origins and beginnings, um, an argument that looks uh, at the concept of, well, really it's cause and effect, and we called that the cosmological argument, or it's the Kaleem argument, but it's, it's cause, of, cause and effect. And so we place that argument in this form, that everything that has a beginning has a cause. And then, so then, number two, the universe has a beginning, and we talked about, if you remember, we talked about the fact that, that discoveries in astronomy and, 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 and in physics in the early, early to mid-20th century have actually proven, I mean, science has, they've come to the conclusion through scientific methods that, that the universe, in fact, does have a beginning. Prior to that, there were some who believed that the, that the universe was eternal, and, and, they, and, and they've come to the conclusion that, no, it couldn't have. Uh, virtually every scientist believes that, whether evolutionist or creationist. They believe that, that, that the universe had to have a beginning. And one of the things that they also discovered was that our universe is, well, I just said that, it's not eternal. But what they discovered is that our universe is winding down like a clock, so to speak. It's, 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 it's running out of steam. It's not, it's not dead yet. It's not running, you know, that... But it's it's not it's not gaining life, but it's 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 winding down, and um, and the amount of time needed for evolution to work is simply not there. It's just not, and so science has aided us in our case for I think for for a creator by showing that there there was a time when all that there is in this universe was not, and so. How did what was not come to be? That's, what, that's the question that we have to answer. It's just illogical to believe that nothing created itself into something. And then, so, so everything that has a beginning has a cause. The universe had a beginning. And, and therefore, number three, the universe, oh, took it down. The universe has to have a cause. That's the formula. That's basic logic. And so... The question then becomes for us is why is there something rather than nothing? And the answer to that question, I think, isn't found in the something that is. Rather, it's found in the reality beyond 
to something. So, for example, say you go home today and you settle down into your easy chair to, to take a nap or watch some football or do something like that, and, and all of a sudden you're sitting there and a baseball comes flying through your, through your living room window, crashing through and disturbs your nap, the first question that you're going to ask is not, oh man, how did that happen? You're going to be asking, who did that? Right? Who did it? Not what, how did that happen, but who, who made that happen? When I, was, uh, when I was growing up and something got broke, my mom came looking for me. She didn't go, oh, wow, that's, you know, I wonder how that happened. Um, well, it could have been my brother. Probably most likely was, but me getting blamed for it. But, but every creation has a creator. Everything that is made has to have a maker. Um, and, and, but if the argument for origins isn't convincing enough, maybe, maybe, just maybe an argument from design uh, will be. Um, and, and that's what I want to look a little bit at today. The, the world, the world that we live in, this world, really actually our universe isn't just here. It just didn't somehow sh sort of appear. I mean, you think about this. Our, our universe, it just reveals this, this tremendous amount of, of organization and, and design and planting, uh, planning and, and, and beauty and, and complexity that design, that complexity, that beauty, that evident planning just screams out for a designer. Every design has a designer. Every concerto has a composer. Every painting has a painter. And so are we to believe, are we to believe that maybe some work of art like da Vinci's Last Supper that that it simply happened when gallons of paint fell off of a shelf and, and spilled on a canvas. Would you believe that? Sounds ridiculous. Uh, in 1802, um, William Paley wrote a book that was entitled Natural Theology. And in that book he presents what has become known as the watchmaker's argument for, for the existence of God. See, if I were walking along and I kicked my foot against a stone that was embedded in the ground and someone asked how it got there, I, I may well say something like this. I may say, well, it has always been there, forever, I suppose. And yet, if I was walking along and I stumbled upon a watch like this, I can guarantee you that, that uh, I, I wouldn't think the same thing about, as I did with that stone. I know that this, this hasn't been there and, and that it didn't just happen. Maybe I'd wonder who lost it. Maybe I'd wonder who made it. Maybe I'd, I'd, I'd wonder what type of watch it was. But certainly I would never conclude that something with such intricate design and something with such detail somehow came about by, by mere accident through random, random occurrences of, of, of nature. Its design would de demand a designer. It, 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 it's, it's what we call the teleological argument. It's an argument from design. Well, 
it's actually, it, it's not just design, but it's also talking about the order of our universe. And so um, let me talk about a couple of different kinds of order. And I've got a couple of, we, I won't show that, don't show it too early here. But there's two kinds of order. The first is this. Yeah, you can actually show this. There's two kinds of order. The first is that which comes from nature. That which comes from nature. And so, for example, uh, a couple of centuries ago, there's a fellow by the name of Francis Whitcomb, and he was a part of a surveying team up in the mountains of New Hampshire. And actually, he had a fellow, he had a buddy with him that, that is, is also credited for this. But Whitcomb and others from his surveying crew discovered this, this rock formation that came to be known as the Old Man of the Mountain. How many of you heard of that? I know I've used it before in, in illustrations before. I just think it's incredible. Um, that, that group, this is back in the 18, early 1800s, they found this, and that's the, at least the earliest where they really know where, where, where they have somebody who has actually at least paid attention to it. This surveying crew is really credited for that. It may, it may have been um, around before that. Or, well, I'm sure it was around. We know that, but I mean, maybe somebody had found it. But anyway, this was the old man of the mountain it had been formed by wind and rain and erosion through the years, and it became a pretty, sig pretty significant and very important landmark in, in New Hampshire. In fact, they, they've got it in their national model. They've got it on their coins. They've got it everything else. But you can, you can see the head there. It looks like a, you know. But that, through rain and through erosion, through a number of different things, had, had formed like that. And, and um, anyway, sadly, that collapsed in, on May third of 2003. Um, they've had, they've actually been, their whole legislation and things, they've, they've tried to bring up things so that they could actually redo it and remake it and because of what it was and they've, they've put things across to, to try to re, um, I mean throughout the years they knew things were deteriorating, things like that and they tried to, to support it and everything else and to, to save this um, but, but to no avail and then in like I said, May 3rd of 2003, it just totally collapsed. It just fell off, off the, off, the uh, off the mountain. But the old man in the mountain first became famous largely because of a statesman by the fellow by the name of Daniel Webster, who was a native of New Hampshire. And he once wrote this. I want you to hear this. He said, "Men hang out their signs." indicative of their respective trades. Shoemakers hang out a gigantic shoe. Jewelers, a monster watch. And the dentist hangs out a gold tooth. But up in the mountains of New Hampshire, God Almighty has hung out a sign to show that there he makes men. That's pretty cool. And so anyway, the first kind of order is that that which comes from nature, like the old man on the mountain in New Hampshire. But then there are, there are those facing um, faces coming out of the Black Hills of South Dakota on Mount Rushmore. Okay, The faces of Washington, Jefferson, Roosevelt, and Lincoln. And those we know well. We've seen those. Anybody been there? All of us. Um, we know those well. It's, it's an order, actually, that's an order that comes from 
design. So we've got an order that, that comes from nature and we've got an order that comes from design. See, one face allows for natural processes. Four other faces dem demand that an intelligent designer and creator. Our universe cannot be explained by the kind of design that you find in The Old Man on the Mountain. It's best explained by the kind of design that we find in Mount Rushmore. There is a beauty, there is a complexity to the workings of this universe that just cannot be explained by the natural, by natural processes or chance. The fine-tuning is just way too incredible to hand over to ran random processes over time. Physicist uh, Robin uh, Collins says, says this, he says, the extraordinary balancing of the fundamental laws and parameters of the universe are so precise that our minds cannot comprehend this. The conditions necessary to sustain life is too amazing to have been the result of happenstance. And he goes on to say that someone, someone had to have taken great care in designing our universe and making sure that everything necessary for sustaining life was in place and finely tuned. And so let me just give you examples of, of that, a couple of examples. Um, this, some of this comes from Apologetics Press, but there's, there's other places that I got this. But he, in that, we, uh, in fact, one of them I, we actually used in our, in our um, class this week, but consider the sun. This just some of this stuff is just amazing when you really stop and think about it. The sun converts eight million tons of matter into energy every single second. Doesn't that just blow your mind? The sun also has an interior temperature of more than twenty million degrees. That is Celsius. Twenty million degrees Celsius. The Earth is located exactly at the correct distance, 93 million miles from the sun to receive the proper amount of heat and radiation in order to sustain life as we know it. If the Earth were moved just 10% closer to the sun, which would be about 10 million, mile, uh, 10 million miles, far too much radiation and heat would be absorbed and life could not exist on Earth. And yet, if the Earth were, were moved just 10% farther for the, from the sun, too little heat would be absorbed, and it would be too cold for animals and humans to live. Or you think about the Earth's orbit. The Earth is rotating on its axis at, a, at about 1,000 miles per hour at the equator, and moving around the sun at 70,000 miles per hour, approximately about 19 miles per second. If the Earth rotated much faster, Fierce cyclones would, would stir up all over the Earth, if the, and yet if the Earth uh, turned significantly slower, the days and night would, nights would be impossibly hot or cold. As the Earth moves in its orbit around the Sun, on average it departs from a straight line by only about an eighth of an inch, or actually by only one-ninth of an inch every 18 miles. I thought this was interesting. If it departed by one-eighth of an inch, we would come so close to the sun that we would, we'd be incinerated. That's fine, finely tuned. 
if it departed by one-tenth of an inch, we would find ourselves so far from the sun that we would all freeze to death. That's science, that they've, they've discovered these things. If we were that, it, it's just a man. Then we think about gravity. I mean, we all know about gravity, right? What goes up must come down, right? But, but see, if there had been a big bang, if it, it, it would have had to have happened with just the right degree of force for our present universe. Too little, too little velocity and the universe would have quickly collapsed back in on itself because of gravitation, gravitational forces. Too much velocity and it would have been impossible for galaxies to form. Gravity had to have been fine-tuned in order to allow the universe to expand at precisely the right rate. If gravity were any greater, most animals the size of humans or, or, or even smaller, they would just be crushed. If it were any less, the Earth could not keep hold of its atmosphere. I mean, these are just a, a few of the amazing complexities of our universe that I discovered just kind of looking and reading through some of these these past few weeks. But, uh, you, know, you know, and the question always comes, are we to assume that all of those things just happened by chance? Are we to assume that everything happened in just the right order at just the right time for this Earth to come into existence and have the properties necessary to sustain life? Like I said before, I mean, we still have to we still have to come up with how did the Earth get here, in the, or how did the world, how did the universe even get here in the first place? But you start looking at the fine tuning and things like that, and these these examples I've given you today just don't even scratch the the surface in the area of physics and astronomy, and and they don't take into account the complexity of the human machine, the the human body, our, our body that houses over 30 million uh, microscopic cells, each with the activity of a large city and enough genetic information and, and sequencing in order to fill a library of over 4,000 volumes. To believe that such a design and such an intricacy could just happen at just the right time, place, and intensity would be like believing that we could take a concrete mixer and we can fill it up with, with a bunch of Scrabble letters and we can mix them up and we can pour them out and we can have them produce a complete and accurate copy of something like, say, Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace. Do you remember the word, verse that we read earlier? Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. You know what I think that tells us? God wants to be known. God wants to be known. His fingerprints are all over his creation, and he has taken great care to take great care to place us in the best possible position to discover them and to, and to discover him. God says in Jeremiah 29, verse 13, he says, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. God is not far from us. God can be known. And I want to close with this. Paul says in Acts chapter 17, he says, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. He says, now what you worship as something unknown, 
I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the times set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said. We, have, or we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when we will, he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Let that soak in as we pray. Father, we believe in that, these things. We, we recognize of what you have done, the incredible work that you have done. And, um, I can't help but just stand in amazement at what you've created. But even far beyond that, God, I can't help but stand in awe what you've done to make yourself known so that we can know you. And I pray, God, that we wouldn't fall prey to the wisdom of this world, but that we would seek you out each and every day as we read your word and as we uh, spend time with you to recognize what you have to say. You have made yourself known, and we appreciate we, we thank you so much for that. Help us to seek you out more clearly this, this, this coming week and the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray.